This is Hashtag Authentic, a podcast for creatives online. I'm Sarah Tasker and this is episode 86. Hello my friends, how are you all? I am good, it's been a few weeks since I have talked to you here so it's good to be back. I have a little stack of interviews lined up and some solo episodes that I'm going to be bringing to you over the next few weeks. Before we kick off today, I wanted to talk to you about a campaign that is happening right now from Women for Women International. They're a charity who help support women survivors of war around the world in all various zones of conflict. And for Women's Day, they are running a Message for My Sister campaign. The idea is that we can all send a message of love and solidarity to women survivors of war around the world. You can do it online or they will send you a written postcard and you just write your message of hope and friendship and they will translate it and deliver it directly to one of the women who is working through their program. The idea is that our words can show them that they have an ally that they've never met somewhere on the other side of the world. I think that's so powerful. I mean, how many of us could use a message like that some days? But then imagine all the trauma and adversity that these women have been through on top of all of that. The campaign is for International Women's Day, but I've checked it out. It's still open. It's still all available. You just need to go to womenforwomen.org.uk forward slash message. I just think it would be an amazing thing for us all to take a couple of minutes today and go and do that and send out that love and support into the world. And sticking with the theme of female empowerment, my guest today is a huge proponent of women in business. I'm going to let her introduce herself in her own words to you in just a minute, but do keep listening to hear also about the event that I'll be joining her at in London later this week, as well as so much wisdom and insight into what it's like to be a female founder, how she manages a team, how she built an audience online from nowhere, and so much more. Hi, Angelica. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. It is good to be talking to you here. We've spoken face to face, but I don't think we've ever done a podcast thing before. No, we haven't. Yeah, we've chatted a lot. It's it's usually the other way around where you've done podcasts with people but never actually met them. We've met quite a lot in real life, (laughs) but we haven't done anything together on the internet. So this is nice. Yes, it's overdue. Um, Do you want to give a quick introduction to yourself and your work for everyone listening? Sure. So I'm Angelica. I run About Time magazine. We're a London lifestyle website. We cover anything it's about time you tried in London and beyond. So for the last six years, I've literally just tried out everything under the sun, any kind of wellness concept, crazy experience, tasting menu, whatever it is, I've I've tried it out in the name of journalism. And then beyond that, we host reader events and festivals. Um, Specifically, at the moment, we have female empowerment festivals. We've got one coming up for International Women's Day called She Starts It Live, which is a two-day event in Farringdon. So yeah, a kind of mixture between um, editorial and events. And then I do some other stuff on the side, a bit of freelancing and hosting events for brands. The usual portfolio career we all sort of built for ourselves flashy career that doesn't yeah it's hard to sum up um to lots of people and I'm also writing a book which I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about but I, I, I think that's okay I think can you tell us really more I can, I can I'm not sure if I'm allowed to do this but you know whatever it's they're fine. not listening it's fine I'll, 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 I'll publish it afterwards um so yes yeah, so I'm writing a book about female entrepreneurship which is out in January 2021 and it's about women in business and and understanding the experiences of women in business, what it takes to start your own thing, kind of particular challenges that women face when it comes to raising investment. And so it's a mixture of my personal experience of kind of getting something off the ground and growing a business and a team and also pulling in loads of case studies. Because I think 
the nicest thing about what I do is that I've managed to meet so many amazing women in the time that I've done it through events and through through editorial. So I wanted to be able to create a platform where where I could talk about that and to interview them. So I've been doing that, working on that for the last few months. And it can be hard to access that. Like you're very fortunate that your job allows for that, but it's, sometimes it can feel like you are just out on your own, feeling like you're making it up as you go along. Totally. And I think we, I feel like the word mentorship is banded around a lot. Like when you're starting your own thing, find a mentor, like it's really good to have a mentor, but actually finding mentorship, mm. I think really hard especially if you're doing something that's internet based you're not necessarily in an environment where you are able to meet mentors or older people who've who've gone through your journey before you so um things like books and podcasts are such a great way to kind of find mentors in a different format I think yeah that's so true some of my like greatest mentors greatest teachers are people who don't even know me but I've taken so much from their work and from what they've built that it's really had a profound impact on me and like it totally works that counts to me as one of the important relationships in my life totally but it's also I think because so many of us now do have these kind of portfolio careers where we're juggling multiple things and wearing different hats finding one mentor for me has I found it quite difficult to connect with one person because I haven't found anyone that's done exactly what I've done because we're all kind of making it up as we go along so I think sometimes you have to have like multiple people so they can feed into different bits of your journey maybe the more traditional parts of it and then so much of it is kind of winging it and, and having to glean bits of inspiration where you can I relate to that so wholeheartedly and like I love it like I'd love to meet someone who's like trying to get a festival off the ground and (laughs) trying to do this and that but I just haven't uh, you know and it's um like as wonderful as it is to be blazing your own path like there are times it's just like a Friday morning sometimes isn't the way you're like I just wish there was someone who could tell me what the right choice is or, or how this ends up or what they did here and how it worked out and yeah just there isn't a lot of the time but that is you know female entrepreneurship that is what's so exciting about what we do as well yeah, which is why we, we we wanted to put these festivals on because I think as much as digital communities are amazing we can sometimes overlook the physical and kind of being together in a physical space and that's really that's really powerful so what I wanted to do with these festivals was create a space where women could connect face to face like have a chance to talk and network I think it is important not to rely solely on connecting through things like Instagram Absolutely. It takes it to another level. In fact, I was talking to my husband because he met up with one of his friends who is, um, uh, he's a male entrepreneur. And one of the things he does is every week he runs a round table in Manchester where all the other male entrepreneurs who will have like offices in the city center all go and they just drink coffee and they network. And it's like a really valuable thing. And I was saying, I feel like if women did that, if like I hosted that in Manchester, it would get really maligned as like, oh, just women sat around gossiping and drinking coffee. But like, it's a core tenant of business and how business has always been done, that people get in a room and get face-to-face and have that, even if it is just a social conversation, like the stuff that happens around the panels and around the talks, at something like She Started It. Yeah, totally. Well, I always, I'm always astounded how um, how much backlash we get for putting on all women's festivals. Whenever we launch them, I'll get some like, trolley people in my dms on twitter saying oh why is it so exclusive to women and like why do you do this i I just think to myself like if it makes you uncomfortable like question why why is why is it making you uncomfortable that women are coming together in this way and i think is it because you're scared of women's Mm. power like 
we're able to achieve when we're put in a room together? Is it because you feel excluded? But for years, like so many places have been so male dominant. Like we have to do things that are perhaps a bit extreme, like have women's only festivals because we need to make up so much lost time of where sisterhood wasn't a thing and we weren't together in that sense. And a lot of the time we are juggling different kind of expectations, different socialization. Maybe people have got like caregiving responsibilities. There are still a lot of differences in the way business runs for women and business runs for men. I mean, that's those are big generalizations, but I think it's a lot of people's reality as well. Yeah, totally. I wrote a piece for The Telegraph that was in defense of girl boss culture because there was a, I don't know if you know, but there was this big thing with the ASA that people per hour had these adverts on the tube that yeah. said, you do the girl boss thing, we'll do the SEO thing, which were deemed patronizing. And I agree with that. But there was a big discussion afterwards about girl boss culture. And should we get rid of the term girl boss? And I actually argued that I think the experience for being a woman in business is very different to being a man in business. And perhaps the language is a little bit outdated, but the kind of the core tenant of having a, a language that reflects that there is a differing experience is important because my experience has been really different I imagine to if I'd been a bloke in business to be honest and I think that we do need to talk about that that it is harder for women to raise investment that female leadership looks different there are a whole host of, you know childcare. there's a whole host of things that are different if you're trying to start a business as a woman and, and we do need to reflect that in narrative. Yeah, I'm always fascinated by these labels because then there's a whole wave of like mumpreneur and the ones that kind of feel like that needs to be in there too. And I think it's about we don't see ourselves in the typical role model of an entrepreneur still. Like it's still Richard Branson and nobody relates to that. Um, so we need a word. We need a word that makes us feel like it's possible for us. And that's what I see girl boss and mumpreneur and those kind of words doing for a lot of people. They're like, oh, I don't have to be in a power suit you know, in a glass meeting room to be an entrepreneur, I can be exactly who I am. Yeah, like almost changing the face of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a whole tangent, but Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm loving it. I totally could rant with you all day about this topic. But let's go back to how you got started, because I actually don't know the full story here. So about time, were you at university when you started that? Sure. So um, it's kind of straight after. So um, I left university and about six months after leaving uni, I launched it. I think at the time there weren't a lot of jobs in journalism going. I, I had an inkling that I wanted to be my own boss. Um, I'd never really worked for anyone. I thought that I probably would enjoy the freedom and flexibility of running my own thing. And I suppose it felt at the time like quite a risk free um, time to do it. I was living at home. I wasn't paying rent. It was kind of easy. And I think as we get older, doing things like launching businesses or starting new projects, they become so much more fear inducing. And when mm. I found when I was younger, I was so much more fearless. I would always take risks. And I didn't even, I don't remember even entertaining the idea that about time wouldn't work and wouldn't be a success. I just kind of did it. And I think I kind of had the mentality of like, I'll give it a go. And if it doesn't work, I'll go get a job. And that's fine. I suppose it's different leaving a job. You know? I have a little theory yeah. as well about why this is easier when we're younger. And I don't know if this is true for you. I think when you feel like your whole life is ahead of you, you're very future focused. And so you're like, well, I don't know what my future is going to be. So I'll try all these different things out. Once you get to a certain age, you start to feel like your path has been decided and that possibility is closed in on you. So then you start to feel like every decision has to be the right decision. And so I think it's a big mindset thing as well, that like if you are later in life, you know, maybe you haven't just left uni and you want to start something. It's just about thinking actually like my whole future is still wide open. Yeah, I actually really, I can really subscribe to that because I think as we get older, we've created these stories in our head of I'm not this kind of yes. person or I'm not the person that does this. And like, 
I don't know, making, yeah, it does feel like sidestepping gets harder and harder to do. And you're kind of, because you're set in this new identity you've created for yourself, which might be the work that you've decided to do. And yeah, career changes are hard. Launching new things are hard as you get older. But I remember being this kind of fearless 22 year old, just being, I'll just give it a go. And I guess your startup costs were relatively low because it was just all online only such a shoestring budget so I had 500 quid savings which I must say was probably my student loan I wasn't really saving <laughs> bits of my student loan that I had managed to drink away and um I used that I found someone that was a freelance web designer he he built us a site for a few hundred quid and then it was just pulling in favors so I had a friend who'd done graphic design and I offered to do something for her in exchange for making a logo and I think that's kind of in the early days that's how, how you have to do it mm. And, you know, going on YouTube and figuring out how you Photoshop and doing everything super basic, but making sure that the quality of the content was there. Um, and I got lots of people to write for me at the start. So I think one tip I would give if you're launching an online platform is to launch with a really good amount of content. So when people go onto it, there's quite a lot to get through. I think we launched with like 50 or so pieces. Um, so it felt like a magazine rather than a kind of a blog, I suppose. Um so yeah, we launched and we had a good launch and then it was just a case of building up an audience and continuing to publish good content and publish regularly and staying on top of stuff and networking with PRs and PR agencies. And, and yeah, and then it was only kind of two or so years ago that we started to do events. So, oh, so many questions. I love that you're like, oh, it was just a case of doing this long list of things that people struggle with. I, I, maybe I've made it sound easier than it was. <laughs> and there was often loads of like self-doubt and stuff like that. But I think one good thing about launching something out of university is everyone is at their first level of their careers. So they're quite keen to build a portfolio. So I, from university, had quite a lot of people who wanted to become journalists who couldn't get commissions yet. So were quite happy to write for me. And I had people that wanted to be photographers and they needed to build a portfolio. So I suppose that's like perhaps a good way of doing it when you're young is that you can pull in people in, in the early days where you're, you're all trying to get ahead. We've seen like a lot of online magazines, especially the kind of women's magazines folding recently. I'm thinking of like The Pool, um, Standard Issue went under, didn't it? Yeah. Is it a difficult model? Is it a difficult climate for you still? It is difficult. And I think one of the reasons that we have survived in this climate is being quite fluid and able to kind of gear shift between different things. Because I think the, the problem with a lot of these magazines is they're relying really heavily on kind of one source of revenue. So usually dis, um, digital advertising, so sponsored content and display ads as well. And there has been, for, I've noticed, a huge shift in budgets because of Instagram, because I think what used to happen is that a brand would come to a magazine and they'd say, I want to advertise my new Honda car or whatever, and they would produce some sponsored content around that. And then because influencers became such a big thing, it was like, why would the brand go to the magazine mm. where the magazine was kind of like the middleman, where they could go directly to the influencer and kind of touch their audience base really quickly? And probably more affordably as well more affordably perhaps in the early days I'm not sure now no. <laughs> and, and oh, uh, extent uh, probably a greater certain set of analytics as well um because obviously we have google analytics but it's not the most reliable thing and um you probably get some pretty good data from instagram mm. so I saw that shift happen and I think because I had a small team and we were quite nimble and I could hire I think rather strategically, I could see that happen and was like almost foreboding. I was like, no, we're going to go and we're going to have multiple things. So we started to do events. You know, we started to work with kind of doing white label coffee for brands and working more like an agency. So having lots of different things going on, I think 
business-wise, it just scares me to have one thing that you rely on because, you know, we're at the behest of these algorithms and big changes. So I think if you can spread it out between different things, and I think that's where a lot of the the titles like struggle to really manoeuvre. I agree. Yeah, they seem like because they're such big things, it's very hard for them to change direction, kind of like a cruise ship or something. And then they have to make redundancies and they have, you know, and it's it, the whole thing is quite stressful. Also, I think actually being a kind of feminist title like The Pool was, it kind of makes things a bit difficult in terms of brand partnerships because mm. there's you're actually really limiting the brands you would be willing to work with because they need to be kind of pro-women and they need to be empowering. And not a lot of brands are genuinely authentically <laughs> empowering. So I imagine that a lot of those brand deals were hard to secure for them. Yeah, I mean, it's something I even struggle with in choosing influencer partnerships, like the amount of due diligence. Once you start Mm. digging into any big company, there's normally a couple of things you uncover that are a bit unsavory. And it's like, where do you draw that line of kind of personal endorsement? Yeah, I mean, it's easier to be the male online than it is to be an authentic influencer, I think. (laughs) But you can just do any old thing. (laughs) No no values or morals required. I know, it's fine. I'm really curious as well. So you started this thing on a shoestring, kind of, you had very little experience, it sounds, of actually like the running of the day-to-day business. So how have you managed to skill up along the way? Like you're coordinating a team now. How, where did those skills come from? Yeah, um, well, I remember launching it and having a really good launch day and then waking up on day two and being like, oh God, I've got to do it all over again. (laughs) And that constant sense of like, we need to keep producing content. And it it does at times feel like a bit of a hamster wheel. I don't think I ever feel fully relaxed. I'm always like, oh, we could just like put this out or put that out. And that, you know, that need to produce content can be quite stressful at times. Um, The team thing that, that I I had a full-time employee for three years and then I changed strategy a little bit because I wanted to go down um, the events route. So I decided to hire part-time and it's been it's a, bit, a really interesting experience and a good learning curve. I think there's some preconceptions with part-time staff that they perhaps won't be as committed somehow or, um, yeah, or as dedicated to your business. And my experience has been totally different. That hiring part-time, I think, has been one of the best things that I've done for my business because I wasn't in a financial position to take people on full-time for certain roles, but I did want us to grow in different areas, for example, in events. Um, so I was able to pull in really skilled, amazing people who had flexible careers themselves, who wanted something a few days a week alongside the other things that they were doing. And they are amazing and so diligent and so hardworking. And it is it's been really great and I think I had perhaps some insecurity as many millennials might do about trying to get people who weren't working for you full-time and whether they would like not respect you in the same Mm. way and I totally it's the same thing about having an office I always thought that if I was to run a business I'd have to have an office so for three years I paid for an office (laughs) I barely ever went to I was always away from work I didn't like it when I was there and then I was like what am I doing like we could just join a cool like co-working space or a members club we could work out of there it would give me so much more money to like hire more people to do new projects and it's so funny how we build this stuff up in our minds and it's like we were saying earlier about what an entrepreneur looks like I think I thought that an entrepreneur has five members of staff five days a week and they have an office and like my learning has been so different to that well true entrepreneurial spirit is finding your own path isn't it and I think that's so it's one of my bugbears actually when I do like business coaching with people is so many people have premises have offices purely to make themselves feel legitimate Mm -hmm. like that's the only purpose it is serving and that's just mindset like you can change that for free (laughs) 
totally and if you do need a if you do really need it you can pay to have a registered office somewhere you know you can pay for one on bond street if you need it's like if that's really is actually important to your business you know um so i think it is uh, sometimes i think being an entrepreneur is questioning some of the stuff that you've been told or you've yeah. been telling yourself and that that's kind of what's getting in your way a bit yeah this, then this is why mindset this is why these conversations are so important i think because it's the stuff that gets left out a lot of the time um in, mm. in conventional kind of like if you took a business course at university there's not an awful lot of that stuff that's tackled totally and there's definitely a softer side to business which i don't want to be too prescriptive but i would say it's more of a feminine way of doing mm. things of being quite honest about the kind of business that you want to run and why. And for a lot of women that I've interviewed, it's because they want something that works around their lifestyle. And actually going into an office wouldn't be the thing that they need because they've got kids at home or they, they have certain um, responsibilities. And actually, when they're honest with themselves about why they're doing it, it is because they need to be able to curate their life in a certain way. So I, I, I would say that there's not kind of one definition of success. It is quite personal about what's, what's working for you and what matters to you. Yeah, I would definitely agree like I feel like that movement at the moment we're really seeing it being spearheaded by women spearheaded is that the right word I think so I like it's powerful sounds like I just made that word up I suppose that may partly be influenced by like the circles we move in that that's where we see it happening but yeah this kind of what what are the values what are the things that I want my business to bring to my life and even if that doesn't look like success in conventional terms from the outside that that doesn't matter like for me the idea of going to an office every day would be a chore like the whole benefit of what I've built is that I can do it in my pajamas if I want to yeah me too me too like I don't I can't be out of the house five days a week it makes me really burnt out I have to have one it's like I will sit on my sofa and work from home and so for me success feels like being able to do that to take Friday off if I need to and just like be in my comfy ugly cat pajamas um and yeah that's that's perhaps what being an entrepreneur is and that that's fine that's great well that's what that to me that was always the appeal so I'm sure there's people listening who feel the same way. Um, I'm curious, so like this is a really personal thing to me possibly, but I find the more I have to manage a team, the more I am responsible for sort of delegating, maybe letting go of certain things and not having ultimate control. There's so much growth I'm having to do in that area, even just in my communication, because I'm such a people pleaser by nature and having to be really direct with people and tell them exactly what I want how do you manage that like still being the person you want to be but also being kind of the boss that's going to kick some bums if needed well it's I think it is the most difficult thing about running your own thing um no one really teaches you we're not taught in schools how to lead how to manage teams like it, it is a very difficult thing and it is something that you have to learn on the job um I've definitely got it wrong in the past and not understood boundaries properly I think especially when you have a small team and I I only have a female team is we are very open with each other and quite personal mm. and for me, like finding the line is quite difficult because I want to be a friend to the people I work with as well as their boss. Um, so that can be quite difficult. Like where, where do you draw the line with, with how you act with someone? I think with the delegation and communication thing, I think putting quite formal things in place has been quite beneficial to me. So I send out um, an email on Monday morning 
individually to each one of the team and usually one that includes all of them which is setting out tasks for the week and what we're trying to achieve um so that'll be kind of specific to their roles and then i might send out a team one that's like by the end of this week we want to have reached x number of ticket sales or whatever it is and i think um having that that come in is quite useful because then they have a sense of what they're working on and then on friday they'll send me an email that kind of sums up what they've done in the week and where they've got on those things um so i think if you feel kind of uncomfortable um with perhaps face-to-face um like delegation maybe it makes you feel too bossy rely on things like email like that's fine like create stuff that's quite formal that make that makes those tasks really clear to people um and then you feel like i think sometimes also if people haven't been given the tasks like clearly enough then there's not a level of accountability Mm. and then it kind of it becomes hard to get a sense of if they're doing well at something, if they're not, you can't really review things. And then I found in my experience that then they're really anxious about being worried that they're looking like they're slacking or they're not doing very well. And that often comes down to you not making everything clear enough. So yes. it can be your managerial style that's creating a lot of the problems. Yeah, there's been times when I think I've said something really clearly and then the thing comes back and I'm like, well, this isn't what I said, but that's on me, like my wording. So I found it really helpful to go, can you tell me, what you heard when I said what I said and kind of tease it apart and, and review your own communication style. Like it's a whole new skill set that I'm yeah. loving learning, but it's definitely challenging. Yeah, totally. I mean, we also, we love voice notes at about time. So <laughs> it, it, like our, our mode of communication is quite funny because I sometimes will just have to voice note and make it super clear what it is that I'm, I'm trying to say. But yeah, and you have to be careful because tone on email can come across like not how you intended so it it is important but I think with being a manager it's often just about having slightly uncomfortable conversations it's I think as Brits it's not something that we like to do but it is sitting with the with the uncomfortable sometimes like I sit down with my team as much as I can and I'm like are you enjoying this like are you feeling fulfilled by this work do you feel like we've got progress and momentum and it's like listening like really listening to those answers I think is is important I mean I think listening generally is where we're all going wrong so if we can learn to be better listeners it's going to help in everything oh amen to that and and again that's not an easy skill to necessarily stop and listen in a busy world when you feel like you've got to be rushing around 24 7 yeah there's a book that I just will bang on about to anyone that will listen to me called you're not listening by Kate Murphy and it's it's honestly changed my life it's all about how a lot to do with social media actually but how we've we've lost the art of listening and how we need to bring it back and it's kind of got exercises in it and it's really wonderful so I'd recommend I'm writing it down I'm gonna find it <laughs> and I'll put it in the show notes because I'm sure other people are gonna want to find it too um <clears throat> slight pivot again then like I've just got so many questions that are bubbling in my head so I know what people are going to be wondering as they hear this whole journey coming from you. And that is going to be, how did they, how did you build that readership? Mm -hmm. Well, um, a number of things. I think some of it is just quite data and analytics driven. So just seeing what was popular on the website and producing more of it, basically. So we could see that our food listicles were always doing really well and they drank quite high on Google. So things like London's Best Bagels or um, London's Best Avocado on Toast would always rank well. So we'd produce more of that kind of content when we were commissioning. And then, um, yeah, the the food stuff did well, getting a good grip on SEO. And then I think the main thing was just consistently publishing. Just we try and publish four or five pieces a day um, and and just doing that for years. Honestly, I just think that's that's the key to it really is consistently writing new stuff and having it out there. I love that because it's not the glamorous, like quick fix solution that we all secretly hope for. Like it's just slogging away 
doing the work. And you won't, you know, you won't see it for a while. It won't feel like it. And then there'll just be a gear shift at some point. It might be that your website just starts to rank high or whatever it is. And you'll just find that it, it all becomes a lot easier, I would say, once, yeah, once the audience has kind of begun to come in. Um, something I have found has worked really well for us is that people love to read about people. So anytime we publish interviews um, or we do these kind of ones to watch lists of of um, business people they always do really well and they tend to get a lot of shares as well so if you can kind of bring a personal element into whatever content you're producing that tends to go down well with our audience and that's a really transferable message because like even in my 15 minute magic class where everyone is kind of a, a business owner maybe a, a slightly earlier po point of their business like getting into your analytics and looking like what are your most popular posts how are people finding them like all of that stuff is such valuable market research because then you can shape what you offer to meet that demand. And the same even for like an Instagram account. If you've got certain posts that are exploding, lean into it, do more of those posts. Yeah, totally. I think you have to be quite flexible in your mindset a lot of the time. If you might have an idea of where you thought you were going to go. And sometimes it's like, I think, I mean, being an entrepreneur, especially, it's just like, that's obviously not where the energy is going and kind of following where the energy is going. And you find yourself in perhaps a different place to where you imagined. But that, yeah, that's kind of being intuitive with it a little bit is, is not being too prescriptive about the one way you meant to do something. And I guess it's finding that balance as well, where you're not being so led by your audience that you're pulled off path. So you know mm. where you want to be, but also... You, you're willing to be responsive to kind of trends and interests at the same time. Yeah, there's definitely a sweet spot between what you want to do and what your audience wants from you and finding, because otherwise you can, yeah, it, it, you can go too far with the audience side and then you don't produce stuff that you're kind of passionate about or you're excited about creating. And that is really important. You also have to be enthused and it's your job. Yeah, you would have ended up with a food magazine. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Let's talk about events. Events is one of those things like I love I love attending a good event and I would love to organize one, but the idea of it terrifies me. I imagine it's a bit like a children's party, but on crack. <laughs> like yeah, the exhaust. It's, it's a bit like constantly being on The Apprentice. <laughs> how it feels. Just one, it's like, it's like being PM constantly. Oh. Um, it's a totally different skill set and it is quite a shock if you've not done it before, um, especially if you're just like a creative person who likes producing stuff. Events is, you know, people have paid proper money to be there and it needs to be slick and smooth. It needs to deliver on expectations. It's quite a lot and it's a lot organisationally. Um, but they are, they are very fun and they're worth doing if it's something that you're excited about, I'd say. Um, I don't have, to be honest, we're, we're so making up as we go along. I don't have many tips <laughs> on a good event at this stage. It's just finding really great speakers. I think creating an atmosphere in the room that feels like very warm and inclusive and inviting. So for the, um, for the next festival, we've got complimentary childcare both days, yes. which I'm pleased that we're doing because um, we had a lot of feedback from the last that people said, oh, I'd love to have brought my friend, but she had a kid and she couldn't find childcare. And I heard that so many times. I thought we've got to do something about this. So we're trying really hard to make them super inclusive, um, which I'm pleased about. Um, yeah, so it's just having great speakers, I think, and offering something quite different and, and unique. I think it has become quite a competitive space with events, mm. especially in London. So how can you create something that's a bit different? You do have amazing speakers. I think you should run through the lineup for the one that's coming up because every time I see who else is going to be there, I'm like, oh my god, I can't wait to be in the green room. Yeah, well, so we've got a uh, we've got a two day festival. So on the Friday, um, it's it's very loosely different in that the Friday is a little bit more 
designed towards people who are in a job and the Saturday is a bit more entrepreneurial, but very loosely. Um, so the Friday we have talks on uh, leadership. We've got the CEO of Virgin Sport, who's 34. She's very cool. Um, we've got you're speaking on a panel about uh, boosting your career using social social media. We've got a talk about workplace well-being. We've got a talk on personal finance on both days. I feel like personal finance is a conversation that seems to be just everywhere at the moment, mm. especially for women really important to be addressed I just think we've been so uncomfortable talking about money for so long and I, I do see a, a real shift in that now yeah. um and we have Tanya Bolo who started LV who's talking about how she built LV which is a femtech business um lots of different stuff and then on Saturday we've got a few um fun talks we've got one about sex and relationships we've got one about hormones um we've got ones about mental health I think it's important when you're putting on events for women that you have a mixture for me between kind of the personal and the professional because these things also contribute to how we feel in our work lives, things like hormones, things like personal relationships. Mm. And I, what's quite special about putting on women's events is that you can bring in both sides and we can kind of look at women's experience as a whole. So yes, we've got talks about how to raise investment for a business, but we've also got talks about how to get the glow and have healthy skin. And I kind of like having, having those things because for me, it feels like this is what it's like to be a woman. We're interested in both and we want information about both sides of, of the female experience. Yes. And also like people will have heard me rant about this before, no doubt that traditional entrepreneurialism traditional business kind of requires you to check your humanity at the door for the day and you've got to mm. kind of turn up as close to a robot as possible and it's unprofessional to have emotions and it's unprofessional to be caught brushing your hair and all of that stuff but actually like bringing it all together is really powerful because it all comes as a package and, and my experience and I'm sure yours has been the fact that we are real humans experiencing real life is such an asset in building our business and building an audience and in, in creating something that's valuable. Absolutely. And I don't know a single woman who wouldn't tell you that their hormones affect their work. And yes. that, and yeah, it's not really a conversation we have, but like a lot of us lose like a week of a month, you know? And I think we should be discussing this stuff a lot more openly. My friend put me onto an app where you track them. I mean, there's so many available, but it helps you kind of see like, oh, this is a week where I will really struggle to make decisions. This is a week where I'll have loads of really creative ideas and there's a real pattern to it. Such a pattern. It's amazing. I also, I use Moody Month. I don't know which one you use, but um, it, it's amazing. And it's amazing to see that pattern. I think also, I always thought that my hormones was just the bit of my period. And that's, you know, I'd be a bit sad and down. And then the rest of it didn't really count. And using an app, I'm like, oh, there's a whole, I really understand there's a whole cycle. And there's bits where I feel great. And like on top of life, and that's when we should be putting on events. And this is when we should take the big meetings and getting a grip and understanding your body in that way is so empowering. And I think that that's really the the future of the workplace for all of us is going to have to be something that accommodates for the fact that we yeah. have we have health and we have bodies and we have caring responsibilities and we want to care about all of those things as well as how we contribute back to the world. Yeah, and I think often with these things, it starts as a cultural shift and then it becomes a policy shift. So the more that we can have ordinary people, as it were, talking about these um, issues and raising awareness around them, the, the sooner that we'll like turn the dial on actual policy changes. I totally agree, on, and I'm I'm so hopeful when I look at like my daughter, so Ola is seven, and the stuff that she just takes for granted is going to be happening when she gets a job for herself in her adult life. Um, I hope that that's the reality that we're creating for them. Me too. 
So I'm going to put you on the spot. I didn't tell you I was going to ask these things, but I wonder if you've got any advice for someone who is where you were. So maybe just out of uni and has a plan to start something, or maybe a little bit later on in life, they've already got a career, but they've got an idea or something they want to start. What would you say to that person? Um, I'd say I'd get quite clear on what that idea is from the start, to have a quite clear sense of, of the, the mechanisms, a clear sense of the revenue structure in place. Um, I would create some kind of basic business plan, just maybe forecasting the next 12 months, just so you have a sense of what you're kind of working towards and trying to get as much feedback as possible from people that are relevant. I always say, like, don't just go to your friends and family because they're not often your target demographic yes. and they might be too... They might be too critical and put you off or they might be too encouraging and not make you realize that the idea isn't, hasn't got legs. So try and do some proper market research. Like if you can speak to your relevant demographic for what you're trying to launch. I think that's important. Um, so investment wise, if you're not raising investment, I would have some kind of cash reserve, mainly just emotionally to take the pressure off a little bit. I think it can be quite stressful if you're trying to launch a business that's going to be profit making in X many months. And sometimes you just need time. So where possible, perhaps you're in a job and you're thinking of launching something like, can you take your current salary and, and make it into savings? So you have something as a, as a reserve to live off for a while. And um, I think that that can make you feel a lot more relaxed about things um, yes. and then the final thing I think I would say is just to be gentle and kind with yourself like I don't think that my early years I was super full of confidence the whole time like we all have moments of self-doubt and questioning and you're doing something that's a, different to everyone else and that can be quite intimidating and I think just being really gentle and understanding that not every day you're going to feel totally sure about your project and you're going to have these moments where you're like what am I doing but that's really normal I don't think that you know we should listen to that too much sometimes you have to push through that that element of self-doubt definitely and that's where the growth comes from and also I would say the growth comes from all the screw-ups and I wish someone had told me earlier on that like there are no mistakes because you learn so much from the things that don't go the way you wanted them to that equips you to do things bigger and better in future yeah it's all a huge learning curve and even if you end up not you know doing your business forever but you do it for a bit you've you've learned something amazing you've got something great to add to a cv or a portfolio and i think that's really valuable as well definitely whenever i speak to people who've built something incredible like if you ask them what they first thought they were going to be doing with their life it's always so different and the choices they made and the winding path that they got to where they ended up makes you realize that actually everything has a way of figuring itself out Mm. I always say playful curiosity is how I approach business, that yes. you have to be kind of curious about things and you have to be a bit playful and you have to be willing to try stuff on for size. And we ended up doing festivals that I love and they were never part of a business plan. Like it just came out of conversations. It came out of talking to our audience and understanding them a bit more. So kind of being open to those changes, I think, is, is really important. And it can be hard to do when financially you're dependent on this thing like it's hard to embrace curiosity but the second you stop I think is when things start to grind to a halt and that's what we saw with some of the bigger companies and the big businesses that are closing is they're trying to stick to doing things the old way and it just doesn't work yeah and I think on a personal level sometimes you have to do things just for the joy of it yes. you have to do them not knowing where they're going to end up not knowing when they're going to make you money like if you can if you can afford to take the money out of the out of something sometimes like not everything needs to be the thing that like makes you money some things you have to do for the joy of it and they may they, they just might end up taking you in a whole new path and I think that's important amen I completely agree
just for the joy of it just for the joy well because joy needs to be a part of it or else what's the point it does especially if you're self-employed like joy needs to be at the heart of it because otherwise you might as well just go work for a company like it does need to be enjoyable yes I say this a lot like don't leave a job you hate to create another one that you hate (laughs) it's not the plan Angelica where can people find more of your work and also how can they come along to the festival Sure. So if they'd like to read the magazine, it's abouttimemagazine.co.uk and About Time Mag on all platforms. And the festival is called She Started It Live and you can book that on Eventbrite. Amazing. I will obviously put all the links in the show notes. And is there another She Started It coming up if people are listening to this after the fact and have missed this one? Have you got, Ooh. not to put you on I'm the so spot. Pleased, so pleased that you asked. <laughs> um, no, we do. We have, one. we have one planned in September and it's going to be a kind of well-being, mind, body, spirit focused one. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. You'll find the show notes for this episode at meandorla.co.uk forward slash podcast 86. And I'll also include event details and everything else we've talked about today. Also, I should just throw in a quick mention here that my 15 minute magic program, which is the one for creative business owners who are stuck in inaction and not making progress towards their goals. That is going to be going back on sale in just a few weeks it's going to be this month so if you would like to hear more about that you can find a link in the show notes or go to meandorla.co.uk forward slash magic i'm going to do an episode coming up soon where i'll talk about all the amazing stuff we've achieved together in that program and how much i've learned from running it that first time around but if you'd like to be part of the second group head over to that link now and hop on the list That is all I have for you today. I hope you have an amazing week and I will speak to you next time.